You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McCormick. You can find me on Instagram at realseanmccormick or seanmccormick.com. I'm a performance coach, a life coach, and I bring to you every single week an expert in the field of performance. And on this week's episode, we are going to dive into a topic that I am totally and utterly fascinated about, which is flow states. Most of you are probably familiar with the work of Stephen Kotler and the rise of Superman, Stealing Fire. You're probably familiar that flow states can help our performance. You've probably experienced a flow state or that feeling of sort of being in the zone. What you might not know is that there is a lot of scientific and academic rigor associated with the research into flow states. And what we cover in this episode is totally amazing. So we talk about a clear, understandable definition of flow. We talk about indicators of flow states from a neurophysiological perspective. We talk about the proven, scientifically reported states of optimal performance. We talk about the zero to dangerous course, which I'll just say right now, there is uh, a course that you can take that will teach you in how to get into flow states. Uh, I've been... I've been in the course for about a month. It's an eight-week course. It is. It has literally increased my productivity, no joke, by probably four or five times. And if you go to zero to dangerous.com forward slash OPP, you can check it out. They offer a free coaching session where you can talk with one of these high-performance flow coaches and uh, talk about how you can get into flow. It's for free. There's no risk, but you may as well check it out. Um, also in this podcast, we talk about how flow is the future of performance. You know, um, at zero to or at the Flow Research Collective, where Rian Doris, my guest for today, is the COO in partnership with Stephen Kotler. They talk. They're in partnerships with Stanford, Deloitte, the Imperial College of London, DARPA. There are massive, massive organizations that are pouring lots of money into researching these states of consciousness and how they can make you better. Some of the stats around flow will blow your mind. So check this out. Listen. So University of Sydney found that creative problem solving goes up by 430% when you're in a flow state. You may be familiar with McKinsey and research that they do. They found that there's a 500% increase in productivity versus steady state peers. So this is pretty amazing, scientifically proven information here. And our conversation goes into some practical applications, how you yourself, like right now today, can sort of force yourself to create the, the, the right environment with the right parameters to get yourself into a flow state, sort of hack the process a little bit. For me, this is groundbreaking. Number one, I've noticed a massive effect in my ability to produce great work. But above and beyond that, this is a sort of a meta skill. You know, if you can work a fifth of what you normally work as far as time, if you're if you're 5x productive, if you're 500% more productive, 
because you're able to tap into these flow states, it is like magic. I mean, it is like, um, it is the sort of meta skill that can apply to all the different areas of your life. And if you can figure out how to get yourself into those states, um, it, it really does give you an advantage over people who don't know how to do this. And uh, for me, it's been it's been crazy effective. Um, at the Flow Research Collective, they train executives. They use psychometric testing, uh, and and what it does is they 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 take this elusive consistent experience that we all experience these little sort of fleeting moments where you feel like you're totally in a flow when you're totally in the zone uh, and they help you figure out how to do that more frequently more consistently for longer periods of time and repeatable so this was a really amazing conversation Um, we did this on a zoom instead of my typical skype recording so it's basically one track um, it kind of it pops out once or twice a little bit sort of intermittently through the podcast, but it doesn't affect the sound quality. And uh, Rian has this really awesome uh, Irish brogue, um, and he speaks very deliberately. So I would suggest um, listening to this podcast at 1.25 or 1.5 speed. And um, I know you're going to get a lot out of it because the conversation for me was was amazing. And I think five or 10 years from now, this is really going to be a commonplace where people are going into flow states. They're seeking these flow states. They're finding ways to cultivate their own um, flow state so that they can be their best. And, um, you know, I pride myself in trying to be ahead of the curve on some of this stuff. So please share this episode. If you love this episode, give it a review. You know, we're kind of coming to the end of the year. And for me, I sort of look back at, at the, at the, you know, 50, 48 episodes that we've done. And there are a lot of you that listen really consistently, but have not subscribed. So please go in, subscribe, and uh, text this to your friends, share this on social media, and uh, drop a review on iTunes because it does, it, it actually means a ton for all of the podcast hosts that I listen to that say, come on, give me a review, give me a re- review. I make a point of jumping in and giving a review because I know how big of a difference it makes in the popularity of the podcast. So, ladies and gentlemen, Without further ado, from the Flow Research Collective, Rian Doris. You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick. It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. And we're here with Rian Doris, the COO of the Flow Research Collective. Rian, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thanks, John. Delighted to be here. Feels good at long last. Yes. We've been, we've been, it's, the day has come, my friend. Um, I want to start the same way that I start with the same question with everybody, which is what time is it where you are right now and what have you put into your body? Sure. So it's uh, was it five thirty eight in Venice Beach, California, at the moment. Today, so far, uh, woke up, had a nice black coffee, then took actually took Qualia, which I don't normally take. It's the Neurohacker Collective nootropic. Uh, I had thought it was sort of overpriced uh, nonsense, but it actually I, I I got some free samples over the weekend at a conference and uh, found it incredibly effective. And um, so. Got some more free samples. Took that, which was nice. 
and then some ashwagandha, which I like to take with the coffee as well. And then L-theanine, I normally take as well with coffee, but that was in Qualia. Um, and then what I have for lunch, I had two large chipotle bowls uh, with no dairy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> which I actually think are kind of an underrated junk health food. Um, I feel good anyway, after eating them, especially when you cut out the, the extra crap. Uh, and then lots of water. I would love to start our conversation because I think most of our listeners are going to understand what flow is. They're probably going to be familiar with the work of Stephen Kotler um, and, and, and probably familiar with the work of the Flow Research Collective. But I'd like to just, if you could, just give us, just give us an overhead view of what your role is there at the Flow Research Collective and, and what you guys do. Sure, 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 sure. So I'll start maybe redefining flow for everyone just to kind of standardize terminology and get people up to speed. So flow is a technical term for a state of consciousness and it's a state of consciousness where we feel our best and we perform our best. And the term was um, coined by a Hungarian psychologist called Mihai Csikszentmihalyi in the 1960s. And they actually used the term flow within academia, within the scientific literature. It's not a colloquial term, it actually is a technical term. And it refers to um, a state of consciousness which pretty much everyone has experienced. It's a ubiquitous state, uh, and it's often described from a qualitative or experiential standpoint um, as being in the zone um, is kind of you know common parlance for us. Uh, and when you're in a flow state, every action every decision feels as if it kind of arises seamlessly from the last. Um, and in this state, focus on the task at hand goes through the roof, action awareness merge, the sense of self that we have in the back of our, our minds, the kind of inner dialogue, that nagging inner critic voice often goes offline and vanishes. Time often distorts. So in a cognitively induced flow state you know or maybe you're lost in work or lost in writing or lost in um you know some kind of cognitively demanding task time often speeds up and people will talk about you know hours having gone by and what felt like minutes uh, and in a more physically embodied flow state like maybe surfing a wave or skiing or something like that time can slow down um, and as the research demonstrates about yeah, 50 years of research on flow every aspect of performance goes through the roof when in a flow state. So the Flow Research Collective, we do two things, um, which is research and training. Uh, on the research side, our goal is to decode the neurophysiology of flow, which essentially means, you know, understand what flow actually is in the brain and in the body. Um, so we're pretty clear on the psychology of flow, so what it actually feels like, again, from an experiential or phenomenological perspective, we're not that clear on the neurophysiology of flow or you know what's happening in the brain what the neuroelectrical signature flow is what the neurobiological signature flow is the neurochemical signature flow the heart rate variability signature flow etc cetera, etc cetera. our goal is to is to pin all of those so that we know what is and is not a flow state from again yeah neurophysiological standpoint um, and we're partnered with, um, with Stanford, with USC, with UCLA, with Deloitte, Imperial College London, UCSF, um, and a number of other academic institutions uh, doing work in their labs to try and understand flow from a neuroscientific perspective and um, determine what the physiological correlates to flow are. 
so that's what we're doing on the on the research side um then on the training side uh we have a team of peak performance coaches uh the goal there has kind of been to build the most elite team of performance coaches on the planet so all of our coaches are phds and licensed clinical psychologists and lots of them have you know decade plus experience working with um everyone from you know hedge fund managers to professional athletes to serial entrepreneurs and we offer uh, we offer trainings where we put clients usually executives kind of at a later stage in their career who are managing people and um, whose decisions kind of tend to have quite a high impact on the organization we put them through a training program which blends one-on-one -on -one coaching with our coaches uh, content so us teaching them our clients uh, our methodology psychometric testing that we can quantify results, behavioral design, which is all digitally delivered through an app, um, and then a kind of a community accountability mastermind component as well, where all the clients will actually get to meet one another and hold each other accountable when they're going through the program. And the goal from our training is, is also sort of relatively straightforward, which is just to teach people how to access flow state with consistency so that they can turn it from this kind of elusive thing that sort of sporadically randomly sometimes shows up into something that can be reliably um, recreated and reproduced on demand so that you can access flow when you need it most and work towards spending the vast majority of your workday in a flow state so as to you know massively improve your output your performance what you can get done and kind of how fast you can progress i get the sense that the reason why this is such useful work the reason why this, the ability to, to, to develop your own procedure and protocol to get yourself into a mega creative, mega productive state of consciousness, it's this meta skill. It's, mm -hmm. it, it, it really does affect everything. It, I, I think of it a little bit, it's, it's, it's so unique because I think of it a little bit like meditation is that it improves everything. Like if you, if you are a meditator, you're doing, you're doing many, many good things for your life and your brain and your body and your stress and all these things, but it affects everything. It's, it's, it's obviously becoming more popular over the last, I would say, you know, five, six years. Um, can you speak to sort of the, the application of, of why this is such an important skill to develop for people? Sure. So yeah, I think first of all, I think it's a great way to describe it as a meta skill, you know? So the first thing that needs to happen when someone trains with us is that kind of a paradigm shift needs to occur within the individual. And usually that will occur before someone comes on board to actually train with us. They'll, you know, watch our content online, listen to Steven speak or something like that and, and kind of get it. But that paradigm shift essentially involves, you know, understanding that a state of consciousness is trainable, much like a skill and that you actually have the ability to shift and tweak and manipulate your state through playing with kind of the knobs and levers of your psychology and your physiology. Um, and that as an idea for people actually is kind of, you know, a paradigm shift. Most people think that their state is sort of fixed, more or less. Uh, that's becoming less the case even through things like mindfulness, you know, which obviously is a form of sort of, you know, state training, whatever, you want, whatever way you want to kind of phrase it. Um, so that the first sort of yeah thing I would say that's required to understand, but then in terms of the importance, so the research on flow gives a sort of a, a good taster as to you know what's possible. So 
a lot of people may have heard Stephen and others talk about some of the, the research, but I'll quickly touch on it here. So research done by McKinsey, the management consultancy found that uh, when executives are able to get into flow, they're up to 500% more productive than those who are not in flow. So they're steady state peers, which means that, you know, you can go to work on Monday and spend Monday in a flow state and get the same amount of work done as, you know, the competition does in a week. And research done by the psychologist Teriva, Teresa Mible at Harvard found that creativity spikes for up to three days after you're in a flow state. So that means that if you can get into flow regularly, your, your kind of systemic um, overall kind of dispositional creativity is going to be higher uh, in general, even outside of the flow state itself. Research done by Advanced Brain Monitoring and uh, DARPA found that skill acquisition speed increases by up to 490%. And skill acquisition speed is, you know, comparable to learning. And learning, obviously, is also an incredibly important meta skill that increases enormously when in flow. And uh, research done by the University of Sydney found that creative problem solving increases by four, 430% when in a flow state. So you see these kind of massive percentage increases in a number of really key performance measures. And it almost sounds you know, hyperbolic or too good to be true. Uh, and in some respects it is, you know, if you can only get into flow for an hour a week or an hour or half an hour, every, whatever it is, every couple of weeks, even if you're 500% more productive and, you know, 400% plus faster at learning and more creative, it's not actually going to move the needle or really have a tangible impact on your real life goals and the actual outcomes you're trying to achieve in your life, whether that's, you know, certain milestones that you're trying to hit professionally or even something like, you know, your learning goals and the number of books you're trying to get through or whatever it may be. So the key really comes in being able to access flow state with, uh, with consistency. And when you can, when you can get into flow, with consistency so that you're spending hours in that state every day and i do the vast majority of your day in that state that's when you know things really can start to change and you can really start to you know blow far past um, your kind of previous state or way of working so so the importance comes not just in getting into flow but getting into flow with regularity and consistency um, and that's that's when we see people's results really start to kind of shift it's it, you know I'm I'm thinking of the different the the different applications for this you know obviously the the work that you do the job that you do there's an application there um, but it transcends just doing your job um, it leads into your recreation activities what do you do for fun um, how do you treat the people closest to you um, for for me being able to to access that state to cultivate a consistent state in which those percentage increases are just they're a little hard to wrap your mind around even like the 500 percent uh uh you know increase um like learning capacity and creativity for three days you know i think I, I i sort of think like some people are like well i'm not i'm just i'm just a salesperson like why why do i need that can you speak to that a little bit the, the, the kind of broader application. Well, yeah, I mean, is this for everybody? I would say, yeah, it's a good question. It, it's it's not. I would say it's actually not for everybody, but it definitely the vast majority of people can benefit from getting flow. So the way I, I like to describe it is that flow is activity or task independent. Um, so 
you know, a lot of people will experience flow when doing a certain kind of leisure activity like surfing or maybe it's playing golf or maybe it's playing, you know, music of some kind, singing or, uh, you know, doing some kind of sport. But they'll never experience it in, in work um, or in maybe their relationships or, or, or a different part of life. But the, the state that they may be getting into, you know, let's just say when surfing can be replicated from a neurophysiological standpoint when they're, you know, doing emails or, you know, writing sales copy or whatever it is that they do. There's no reason that you can't get into the exact same state of consciousness in a totally different distinct activity than the activity you're used to getting into it with. So if you're able to hack flow and get into flow while surfing, you should be able to get into that same state while doing a number of other activities. And some activities that are kind of more rich in flow triggers, which we can get into in a little bit uh, than others. So it's easier to get into flow during certain activities. And that does tend to be the activities that people gravitate towards with leisure. Um, but if you can deploy the, the kind of the procedures and tools necessary to be able to get yourself into that same state when doing things, you know, like that are related to your work, then you get this kind of amazing effect where, again, from a kind of neurophysiological perspective, the state you're in is identical in during, you know, let's say it's your work as during whatever leisure activities it is that you love to do after work. And when you can kind of spend all of your time in that same state, then the, the kind of game completely changes from a work perspective. And, you know, because it's not, it's not the activity that the people crave, it's the state that the activity produces that people crave. And um, so the key is kind of separating those two things and then learning how to bring that state into all sorts of different activities. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's totally key because the reason that I, you know, go for a run is not because I absolutely love the way it feels when I'm pounding my feet on pavement. It's the feeling I get. Yeah, exactly. It's experience. It always comes down to experience. Yeah. That's all there is. Yeah. So like, you know, for someone who has, you know, had that, that one golf round, you know, maybe once a quarter, they have a golf round where they're just they're crushing everything. They're super focused. They're dialed in and we will get to the, to, to the triggers, but they've, everybody kind of knows what that's, what that's like, or, or, or you're a public speaking thing, or you're giving a presentation at work, or even you're just doing, doing chores around the house or working with your hands out in the garden, like that, that the, the, the enrichment, the, the life affirming experience that we have uh, is the thing we're after the, like the, the vibe, the juice, the feeling that we get, not the actual, not the actual activity. And, and to be able to cultivate your own way to get into that, get into that, that literal, that, that level of consciousness, it just, it makes life more interesting. It's sort of an upgraded version of yourself in that way. You know, I, I mean, how is it that you got, and, and I think it's important to hear how you got into this. Like how, how did you, how did you start down this journey? Like, what are you, how do you like to use flow? How do you like to get into flow? Yeah, sure. That's a good question. So, so yes, when I was 13, I had a really bad uh, head injury. Um, I went down a water slide on holidays in Croatia, head first, a vertical water slide. And because of the more relaxed regulations, they obviously didn't kind of have strict rules around how you use the slide or or depth of the pool that you would land into after coming off the slide and things like that. 
So I, I went down head first. I was 13. I, I somersaulted off the bottom of the slide, semi-rotated and hit the top of my head off the concrete bottom of the pool. And the pool was only about three foot deep. And luckily from where I hit my head, um, it meant that I didn't break my neck because I was like perfectly straight. Uh, but that did mean that the impact went through my neck and back and obviously brain as well. And that caused kind of a post head injury malaise, um, which is essentially just this kind of like undiagnosable set of very debilitating symptoms that occurred after the head injury for about six years. Uh, so pretty much the whole way through my teen years, I couldn't, uh, couldn't exercise, couldn't play sports. And I had really severe amnesia, difficulty focusing. Uh, then later on, it kind of morphed into depression, anxiety, and other sort of mental health challenges. But during that phase, the middle of that phase of not being able to do the things that I used to love doing to be able to access flow, like surfing, playing rugby, um, which were my two kind of biggest sort of flow activities for the injury, I sort of switched my focus um, to academia because it was all I could do. I couldn't do anything physical uh, because of the accident. And then also began reading and then kind of went down the whole sort of self-development, peak performance rabbit hole. I think the first book I read was uh, called Blink by a guy called Matthew Syed, which is it's similar to the other one, uh, The Talent Myth by Jeff Calvin, which essentially just debunks talent. Or, and then that kind of like installed a growth mindset. And then I came across Stephen Kotler's books, who's my partner at the Flow Research Collective, learned about flow and became fascinated by flow. And by Stephen's story, which is actually very similar to mine in that he had Lyme disease, which had a very, very similar set of symptoms to what I was experiencing as a result of the head injury. So that kind of resonated with me deeply. And I got fascinated behind the psychology of peak performance and really wanted to come at it from a sort of neuroscientific, research-backed perspective because of the fact that I was at the time seeing neurologists and trying to understand the, you know, the kind of medical side of what was going on with me uh, so that that sort of neuroscientific evidence-based approach was much more appealing than a more kind of you know rah-rah self-help kind of approach um so yeah kind of got into it at that point and became sort of obsessed with this whole world of self-improvement peak performance um etc and then began working with steven as a fan of his originally at three and a half years ago and sort of um yeah, the rest of in history. And now, uh, as far as my kind of like flow activities, um, I'm in Venice Beach, thankfully. Uh, so surfing is, is pretty accessible, which is great. Um, and then work is, my, is my, actually probably my main one. I mean, I, I find I'm lucky enough to be very passionate about what I do, and that helps enormously being able to spend pretty much all day um, locked in and totally in the zone, which, which is nice. <laughs> nice. So let's let's talk about flow triggers. Um, I know that there are different categories of flow triggers. I know that I know that there's there's 21. Um, you know, to give people an idea of how they may have found that they were having that another one of those golf rounds, or that they were having, you know, a personal best in exercise, or they really did a really a really great presentation at work. Like, what are some of the what are some of the the factors that go into the triggering flow states? Sure, sure. So I can give um, a quick sort of breakdown on the characteristics of flow, uh, potentially first, because that's helpful to get a sense of, you know, what actually it feels like when you're in flow. And we've touched on that briefly, but I can run through There's a number of characteristics of flow, and then I'll kind of run through the triggers and some of these actually uh, overlap. So 
when in flow, you get that sense of action awareness merging. So the doer and the doing kind of become one. Um, and from the perspective of consciousness, you kind of become the action and sort of feel automatic um, and as if you require little or no extra resources in doing whatever it is that you're doing. You get that sense of selflessness, as I mentioned, timelessness, effortlessness, a huge one that I didn't really touch on. So the kind of sense of struggle and strife vanishes and the experience becomes intrinsically rewarding uh, or in the kind of research parlance, autotelic. Uh, and that's a huge thing which we can touch on later. And it's a huge benefit also to be able to get in the flow when at work. Um, there's, you also get this kind of powerful sense of control over the situation where you feel like you have, you're kind of steering the ship. You're less in a kind of reactive state. You're more at the cause rather than at the effect. Um, intense concentration is another huge element of it. Uh, and then there's another number of characteristics which kind of transition us into the triggers. So I'll touch on those. But yeah, as you said, there's, there's 21 or 22 now, actually, I believe, flow triggers that have been identified in the research. And these are essentially preconditions that need to be in place in order for you to be able to get into a flow state. Um, so as you said, there's different categories of triggers. There are psychological triggers, there's environmental triggers, there's creative triggers, there are social triggers and group triggers, uh, which occur when in a group of people. Um, and I can give a quick breakdown of some of the triggers, if that's helpful, so people have an idea of what's actually uh, you know, kind of yeah. helpful to try and implement to be able to get into flow. Yeah, for sure. Cool. So, so three, three sort of simple psychological triggers that I always like to touch on that are, that are pretty you know, actionable are the challenge skills balance, which some people may be familiar with already, uh, immediate feedback, um, and clear goals. And all of these are relevant to pretty much all activities, but they're also all very actionable within kind of a workplace context. And oftentimes, you know, even though people probably experience flow more outside of work, it's harder to get into flow in work and everyone has work of some kind. So usually this sort of content is most um, jumped on by people who want to be able to hack flow in the workplace. Um, but the, the challenge skills balance, which is the first of the, the three psychological triggers that I mentioned, essentially just states that if you want to be able to get into flow, the optimal um, level of challenge is required within whatever task it is that you're doing so you need the task that you're doing to be just slightly more challenging uh, or difficult than your current skill set so you want it to be like a slight stretch from your current skill set and if it's too challenging you get kind of propelled into anxiety and overwhelm it's uncomfortable and it's difficult and if it's too easy you kind of drop into boredom and it's not stimulating enough but when you get that that kind of sweet spot here, where the task is sort of the perfect level of stimulation that's a huge driver for flow and there's a number of ways that you can manipulate the challenge level of certain tasks um, in order to be able to hack flow so one super super simple example is that you can just increase and the amount of time available that you're giving yourself for a task if you feel like that task is, is particularly challenging. And by allocating more time than you anticipate needing, you're actually just going to drop the challenge level of the task and hopefully kind of have a drop closer to that challenge skill sweet spot. And the inverse is also doable, you know. So if you've got a particularly mundane or boring task, you can sort of create an artificial sense of urgency by, you know, giving yourself a smaller time allotment to be able to complete that task in, which is going to lift the challenge level 
and hopefully drop you into the sweet spot for flow. Uh, and that, that challenge, skills, balance, trigger, along with a number of the other kind of maths and models for hacking flow, um, also is applicable over a number of different durations of time frames. So a lot of these triggers are applicable you know, within the moment on a kind of hour-to-hour -hour basis while actually executing a task. And then they're also applicable you know, at a sort of more macroscopic life level. You know, so a lot of people, for example, spend their whole career or, or certain long phases of life pushing way, 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 way past if they're type A, super competitive performers, they'll try to constantly sort of blow way past um, the optimal challenge level into taking on too much, getting themselves overwhelmed, redlining, exhaustion, burnout, uh, you know, fumbling and bad decisions, et cetera, will often occur by going too far. And a lot of people who are on the other extreme who are you know, not very type A will just not lean hard enough into their edge in general in life. Um, and so you want to both within your kind of day-to-day -day on a more microscopic level, be always kind of cognizant of the challenge skills, balance and, and where you're at with it. And then on an overall kind of life level, you also want to be you know, analyzing your life, looking at how much challenge you're, you're giving yourself and seeing if it's like just the right amount. Um, and that kind of is going to translate down into the more specific uh, examples within the tasks you're actually doing day to day as well and help you get a challenge skills sweet spot within the more specific task. That's interesting. I mean, you've given, you've given a, a hack uh, process of, of uh, something that people can use to actually like instigate a flow state, like a, a, a giving yourself a trigger. I know that I need to respond to emails. Well, usually it would take me 45 minutes because I'm also scrolling through Instagram. But if I give my, instead of giving myself 60 minutes to do this, I'm going to say 25 and I just need to get it done. That in itself may actually like propel us into, into a flow state in some way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And there's different, yeah, there's a number of different ways you can kind of manipulate the challenge skills, sweet spot. I mean, one example that, that Stephen likes to give even is with them. Um, sales teams and you know sales quotas so what will often happen is uh you know sales team will kind of hit their hit their targets and then because of that whoever's managing them just like four x's their targets and then all of a sudden the whole thing becomes massively overwhelming unsatisfying the target is unrealistic and the, the sort of joy of like that perfect level of stretch and that kind of nice sense of wanting to push because of the potential of actually being able to achieve the thing you're pushing towards is gone. And there's just this sense of, you know, stress, anxiety, and overwhelm, uh, which kills flow essentially. Um, so it, so it applies that kind of, that model applies to all sorts of different specific situations. So it's always a helpful thing to be, to be aware of when kind of analyzing how much you're taking on, how much you're even delegating to your team, all sorts of different things. Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. I, I, um, I, again, like this, this type of approach to performance, this is what makes this sort of the, the, the meta skill, the, the, the game changing, life changing meta skill. Because if you can, if you can set up parameters, your environment, your state of consciousness, so that when it's time to boogie, when it's time to do good work, you can just knock it out of the park and it's really high quality and you get a ton more done. I mean, everybody, everybody wants to be able to do that. Everybody wants to be able to get all of their work done by two o'clock and then go home and do whatever you want to do for fun. Yeah. Right. Big time. 
big time. Well, and that's another sort of philosophy around work that we teach. It's not necessarily sort of directly out of uh, flow science, although it, it definitely helps with access and flow. Uh, and the way we describe that is sort of making work binary. So you want to you wanna always be either 100% fully on, absolutely engaged in whatever it is that you're doing, pushing as hard as you possibly can uh, with the attempt to you know, be deeply immersed in flow with all distractions eliminated and monomaniacally focused on whatever it is that you're doing uh, with laser-like attention. Or you want to be 100% off, fully recovering, fully unplugged, fully resting, and kind of enjoying as deeply as possible the fruits of life. And you want to eliminate as ruthlessly as possible anything that sort of sits in the gray zone in between those two modes, uh, which is unfortunately where most people actually spend the majority of their working life is in that gray zone where they're kind of like half doing a task, half checking some emails, half kind of, you know, eating a bit of food, walking around, chatting to a coworker. They're sort of always in that middle mode. Um, and ideally you just want to almost like a, like a lion hunting. You want to kind of go out, sort of viciously chase down whatever it is that you're doing, get it done as rapidly as possible and come back fully rest and recover and then kind of sprint again rather than being like a marathon runner who's sort of half always on and always going. I love that. That is so, it's so precise. And, and I think everybody that's listening is going, Oh yeah, I definitely do that. (laughs) I definitely, damn it. I definitely do that. Can, can you give us some examples of, of folks that we names that we would know that that have either gone through gone through the training or that you just assume are really good at getting into flow states? Yeah, good question. I mean, I always assume that anyone on a super high level, whether you know aware of flow research and, and even the term flow or not, are getting into flow in some capacity. So as Stephen says. You know, every, every Olympic gold medal is won in a flow state um, within athletics. Uh, whether, whether people know flow or not, you don't, you don't need to know the word flow or know that we exist or know that Csikszentmihalyi wrote a book called Flow and we would be spending a lot of time in flow. Um, but in, in the kind of business or professional space, I mean, a lot of the sort of, you know, current kind of world famous, super influential entrepreneurs like Elon Musk and Bezos and um definitely bill gates i mean he even talks about it actually in his early life when he started coding actually malcolm gladwell writes about it if, i think it's in outliers uh, he, he talks about bill gates um kind of spending all night uh in the computer lab in school coding for just hours and hours and hours and hours on end and, that, and that's unquestionably a flow state and coding programming is actually a very flow trigger rich activity that's why coders get so obsessed and about coding love coding they kind of view it as an art and they're massively passionate about it and they can spend you know hour on hour on hour doing it because they're just they're just in it they're lost in it totally in the zone and um, and yeah I, I would imagine you know guys like elon musk just even that kind of you know the, the sort of creativity and big thinking and, and things like that that he is obviously able to harness i would imagine comes off the back of quite a lot of flow experiences. Um, and then also having the, the success that he and, and people like that have also kind of creates a feedback loop, you know, where you're, where the, the sort of the winning that is happening kind of increases your passion and drive and enthusiasm for whatever it is that you're doing, 
which then makes you more susceptible and able to be again to, to get it flow in whatever it is that you're doing which then makes you win even more at whatever it is that you're doing and it kind of feeds itself as this sort of this kind of flywheel of feedback loop which results in more flow more more positive results and more flow and more positive results etc cetera, etc cetera. Can you maybe thank you for that, that, that I love, I love that. Like, uh, you immerse yourself, you do a good job. It's successful. It's rewarding and holy shit, let's do that again and again and again, and let's 10 yeah. exit and let's, uh, let's hire a hundred people and let's just keep going like that, 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 uh, that feedback loop is, is massive. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's another flow trigger, which is immediate feedback. Um, and that, I mean, it's slight, it's slightly distinct, but I think uh, from a mechanistic standpoint, there are similar things at play there in terms of the feedback that we're talking about and the flow trigger immediate feedback. Um, and interestingly, what you, you know, one of the biggest causes of burnout is actually not just overworking or underresting and under-recovering. Obviously, those things contribute significantly, but actually one of the biggest reported causes of burnout, I think it's um, reported within the American Institute of Stress, I think, uh, is actually just um, kind of being underwhelmed or dissatisfied with the output that you're getting for your inputs. So mm. essentially just getting poor results for whatever work it is that you're doing is a massive driver of burnout. You know, if you're, if you're working your ass off 60 or 70 hours a week and your business is, is 10xing, you know, on a whatever quarterly basis, you're much, much, much less susceptible to burnout than if you are working the exact same amount of hours, but you know, losing customers by the week or, or, or even just remaining static or whatever it is. Um, that is a huge kind of psychological role to play in burnout for sure. I'd love, I'd love for you to describe, and the, the cool part is, is that it's different for everybody. Everybody has their own, um, their own, activities, environments, mental states, habits that they can do or that they, that they just live with day to day that may be either um, contributing to more flow states or prohibiting them from, from accessing um, a state of flow. You know, let's say sit down, somebody sits down to work. Is it like 15 push-ups, six box breaths, noise-canceling headphones, you know, a hit from a vape pen, and then, then you're in a flow state. I mean, is that, is that kind of where this goes? <laughs> it's not, of course, it's not, as, uh, not quite as specific as that. Although I think you can over time get your own personal practices and routines that are as specific as that. For sure, actually. Uh, Josh Wadeskin in his book, The Art of Learning, talks a lot about um, kind of preparation rituals and things like that. And he uses kind of certain songs as triggers flow and trains his brain to recognize those songs in advance of moments when he needs to perform optimally. So he, you know, he kind of talks about developing those specific routines and, you know, off the back of our training. So the work you sort of do yourself or our clients do themselves is develop these kind of hyper specific rituals. And I have my own versions of those, but we don't train those. So a sort of a key distinction that we make in our training is that we train, um, we train biology, not psychology, um, because psychology is end to one. It's individualized, it's specific. What works for you doesn't necessarily work for me um, because our psychology is unique and distinct and different person to person to person. But um, at the level of biology, there are fundamental you know, underlying 
laws that are universal you know like one simple example uh within nutrition is you know the idea of a of a, of a calorie um deficit you know if, if any human being eats a calorie deficit whether it's the result of ketosis or mcdonald's or whatever else they're going to lose body fat it's a universal law of biology and the same thing applies to high performance so when it comes to high performance we always try and train at the level of biology so that it is universally applicable and so that we feel confident being able to train kind of anyone and everyone in what it is that we're teaching them to do um, but as far as kind of practical routines and habits and things like that i mean i, I always emphasize sort of starting with incredibly simple often overlooked things so some of the biggest challenges that our clients come to us with um, and these aren't necessarily you know this, this is like sort of anecdotal experience from within our organization this is not necessarily within flow research or the literature or whatever but a lot, a lot of the biggest challenges that our clients come to, them, come to us with are overwhelm distraction poor time management poor prioritization burnout for being close to the risk of burnout um exhaustion is a huge one um lack of autonomy so is another massive one so a lot of people are constantly being tugged at by family members children bosses employees they don't have any actual open space in their life they're constantly being kind of pulled um, so those are a lot of the biggest blockers to flow uh, and so what we try and do is kind of come in and attack each of those things that are blocking flow before adding in things that are going to increase your ability to get in the flow and so you know step one if you're exhausted which most people are even if they're aware of it or not is actually just literally fixing sleep and um, you know if you're getting four hours of sleep a night and you're kind of constantly feel the need to take a nap uh probably not going to get into into flow or 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 even be productive outside of getting the flow which you know you can be absolutely all of our training helps you be more productive regardless of whether or not you're in flow and you can be productive for sure and, and perform well outside of flow and um, but yeah that's just not going to happen if you're if you're if you're wrecked uh, so that's the first thing um then the second big one is distraction uh, and that's kind of the, the often the low-hanging fruit for people is Again, this kind of requires a paradigm shift, but you know, totally, totally shifting perspective, doing a full 360 on um, the kind of perspective that people have around attentional management and around distraction management. Most people, I think, massively, 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 100x underestimate the degree to which their attention is precious and their attention is a resource that can get fractured and wasted um, and so you've got to get i think um sort of almost anal retentive at least within the workplace when you're kind of in on mode about protecting your attention absolutely ruthlessly and and again that requires sort of a paradigm shift you know you've got to start thinking about your attention in the same way that people more commonly would think about money you know, as a resource. And because, you know, in the knowledge economy, attention is, you know, just kind of money a few clicks earlier in the process. It, right. it becomes money. Um, so it's another, another huge thing. I know it's not very specific, but it's just a general kind of like attitude or paradigm shift that's, that's required for sure. Uh, overwhelm is another big one. So this kind of relates sort of back to what we were talking about the challenge skills balance, but just getting very good at gauging your capacity um, is really, really, really important. And um, it's funny, there's a, 
this, this is kind of online uh, little tool that uh, allows you to write to your future self so that you can develop a better relationship with your future self and actually get better at accurately predicting what you're going to be able to handle in the future. Because most people kind of massively overestimate the amount of you know, things they'll be able to handle and actually do in the future. Um, and Stephen actually talks about that with Peter Diamandis in his new book, The Future is Faster Than You Think, that humans just are not good historically at uh, future prediction. We have kind of local and linear brains that are designed to see, you know, maximum kind of a season ahead of us. Um, and we're evolutionarily wired for that to be able to understand, you know, when it's going to get cold and when it's going to get hot and what the implications of that are for our day-to-day. -day. But we're not good at, at, at kind of seeing who we're going to be or what we're going to be like or what we're going to be able to handle a year or two years or five years down the line. But yet a lot of us kind of plan off the back of that. So you want to kind of get better at just gauging how much you can handle and what your capacity constraints are, um, both in the long term and kind of immediate term as well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's some stuff at a high level. We can go into more specifics on anything as well, if you'd like. But. Well, the uh, the reason this is so fascinating to me is that when it comes to attention, when it comes to overwhelm, when it comes to distraction, it's going to get worse. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's going to become increasingly harder, not just generation to generation, but but several years from now, the algorithms are going to get better at keeping your attention, playing Candy Crush or buying all bird shoes or whatever. Like the, the demands on, on people that we just sort of now take uh, as commonplace. Status quo is that, yeah, I'm just, I've got push notifications, I've got opt-ins here, I've got interruptive ads, I've got, um, I've got more information and access to information in my pocket than, than ever before. And that is going to increase. And so having this skill, having this awareness, having an understanding of what we can do, how I can protect my attention, how I can develop my own way so that, cause here flat out, I want to do the least amount of, of, of work possible for the maximum amount of output. Right. Like, like, like Definitely. that's right. I want to do, I want to, I want to be locked in for as little a time as possible, but I want to do a better job than anybody else before. And so if I can do that, and part of that is limiting distractions. And part of that is, um, is strategizing my day, my on, I really like that you're either on or you're off no gray area. If I can schedule my on moments to be in chunks of 60 or 90 minutes and I smash it because my phone is in airplane mode and I know exactly what my task is, that's, that, that is, that is performance. And, and that, that ability, that skill is going to be at a premium going forward in life. And so that, that's, what's just so interesting to me is just the applicability of the cultivation of the skill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I think I think there's a couple of good points in there. One is actually that uh, just a simple point, which is that I think absolutely the goal should always, always be to be able to to be able to do or, or get more, produce more with less. You know, and a lot of a lot of the the sort of um, you know business gurus and things like that uh, kind of preach more, 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 do more to get more. 
um, which is a terrible, terrible model. I think it should always be do less to get more. And that's not to say that you should be working less hours, but you should always be maximizing the per hour output that you're able to get um, and becoming more leveraged and focusing on the ratio of inputs to outputs rather than just on the ratio of you know, inputs, uh, which is what most people kind of tend to think of, or a lot of people tend to think of, especially with a lot of that kind of hustle mentality and things like that. But you, know, you can only kind of scale your time so far until you just hit a point of diminishing returns, but you can, uh, you can get sort of leveraged uh, ad infinitum. You can always gain more leverage and you can, you can uh, kind of increase your, your per hour output um, to infinity. You cannot increase the amount of hours you can input to infinity at all. You know, you're going to max out about 60 hours a week. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, that's a seriously important point and people should be proud of trying to be able to produce more with less rather than, uh, you know, kind of shying away from that idea as lazy or something like that. Um, and then, yeah, on the distraction front, I mean, I think it's going to require just more and more kind of diligence and awareness around uh, the extent to which people are trying to snatch and grab your attention. Uh, again, oftentimes for their own kind of monetary gain, you know, it is a helpful analogy to think of attention as something very close to a monetary resource. You know, when people are vying for your attention, they usually have a financial motive behind it. And if they capture your attention, they usually win financially. And oftentimes that's, you know, at your expense, even if it's you voluntarily choosing to buy something off the back of an ad that you see or click something, you know, on Instagram or whatever the case may be and watch an ad or something like that. Um, and I think that, you know, as that increases more and more, uh, the world's best performers are going to be the ones who are better and better and better at being absolutely kind of freakishly ruthless at protecting their attention um, and almost kind of for periods at least, you know, kind of living in almost like a monk-like fashion. So a lot of the, a lot of the best um, entrepreneurs that I know uh, will switch their phones off, you know, for days on end and get out of email for days on end to just dive deep into singular tasks and get, you know, immense amounts of extremely high value, real deep work done. Whereas, you know, a lot of people who are competing with them will get, you know, 35, 40 minutes of deep work done a day. Yeah. Uh, when you map that out, literally just in terms of time, firstly, you've got the, the fact that you're going to produce better if you're doing hours of work sequentially for a number of reasons, such as uh, attention residue, which Sophie Leroy is a professor. I can't remember where she's a professor at, but Sophie Leroy talked about the idea of attention residue, which is you know, every time you task switch, a residue or a percentage of your cognitive resources are left on the previous task. So when you come back to, to the task you were originally on after having switched, you've got less resources to dedicate to that. So if you, sit, if you focus you know, for eight hours straight on task A without breaking it, you're going to get much more of task A done than if you do that same amount of hours on task A over multiple days. Um, and so, yeah, I think that over time, the, the people who start to like really win and, and produce the most are going to be the people who are just amazing at that hacking flow through protecting their attention and uh, eliminating distraction at all costs. You know, as, as we're talking, um, uh, I'm, I'm struck by the level of sophistication of the academic support uh, around this, you know, for, I think, 
some people probably think of flow states as woo woo or um, hard to pin down. But the fact of the matter is, is that there is a ton of science. There are many studies that prove this. There have been lots of books. And, and the fact that, that, that's, that that's one of the things that you guys do at the Flow Research Collective is to actually, actually pin it down academically, intellectually. I think it makes it more accessible for people when they know that like, no, this is not, um, this, is, this, is, this is more clear than I think people know. Right. Yeah. It's funny that, I mean, you know, oftentimes literally the word flow, the fact that the term used is flow is kind of throws people off because it sounds, sounds esoteric. It also just sounds colloquial. It's kind of like energy, the word energy, which means, you know, a million different things depending on who you're talking to uh, or manifestation or alignment or, you know, some of these words that are very kind of, unclear in terms of the the actual referent in the world that they're kind of pointing to but flow just it happens to be the term that is used within within again the scientific literature for this state of consciousness but there's absolutely nothing you know esoteric or woo woo apart from the uh you know kind of depth of experience that you can have in the state which can be analogous to a mystical experience um but yeah, beyond that, there's nothing, I don't think there's anything woo about, about flow or anything kind of questionable about it. And, you know, whether or not people want to call the thing that they're optimizing for flow is just a semantic issue. But, you know, anyone who wants to perform and produce results in some fashion or another, whether they're aware of it or not, is optimizing for flow and attempting to get into flow. It's just, again, it, it kind of almost comes down to a semantic issue, whether you want to call it that or not. Yeah, right, right. So let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about zero to dangerous. Um, what, what, what can people, what is it, what can people expect and what will be, what will be their outcomes? What will they leave with going through, going through this training? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of it relates very closely to kind of what we've been talking about the whole time, but um, there's five, as I said, there's sort of five main components to the training. Um, so the first one is, is kind of community and accountability. Uh, so we screen everyone who comes on board to train with us to make sure they're a good fit and to make sure they're mission driven and committed and are going to be engaged. Um, and that results in us having, you know, usually a, an amazing community of people training with us for every cohort. The cohorts are done on, on a, on a bi-monthly basis in a live fashion. It's all delivered digitally. So anyone can do it from anywhere in the world, but it's actually live with another group of people. And because of our screening processes, we tend to get all sorts of amazing, inspiring, you know, entrepreneurs, executives, leaders, athletes, creatives from all over the world. So the first component is just getting into our app and with them so that you're meeting other, you know, world-class performers um, and inspirational people and just kind of getting the benefit of having a peer group of other high performers surrounding you and kind of, you know, elevating your mindset. Um, then the second component is content. So we teach in detail. Stephen teaches all of the maps and models around flow uh, to kind of get the, the client to a level of really deep scientific literacy with respect to flow uh, and all of the different ways that you can train it and harness the power of flow. Uh, and then the third phase is the behavioral modification. So there's a number of different exercises and habits that people do every week with the goal being that over the eight week period, you kind of do a total rebuild 
an overhaul of all of your habits, processes, approaches to everything that we've been talking about, you know, your physiology, your psychology, your attentional management, your distraction management, um, even your mindset, everything like that. Then the, the fourth, fourth component is going to be coaching. So there's three kinds of coaching that we have, and the coaching is really key for a number of reasons. But the first is you get paired up with one of our peak performance coaches who are all PhDs or licensed clinical psychologists. Um, we pair you with them based on a comprehensive kind of intake form to make sure we're putting you with someone who's the best fit for your specific situation and goals. And you work with them uh, on a one-on-one basis over the eight weeks. And that's you know, immensely valuable to be able to dive deep into your own life situation, get clear on your own goals and understand your own you know, blockages to flow and opportunities for flow and just for you know, enhancing your performance in general. Then you do, uh, we do group coaching with the whole cohort so everyone gets to know each other and, and kind of stays accountable at the start, middle, and end of the eight-week training. Uh, and then we also do accountability coaching. So we put you with someone else in the cohort who we think is a good match for you. And we have you do a, a weekly, hour-long, peer-to-peer coaching call with them so that you kind of stay accountable and that you're you know, engaged and supported throughout the training. And then the final piece is uh, psychometric testing. So we have people take a number of academically validated self-report questionnaires at the start of the program, at the end, and then every week as well throughout so that we can try to track a tangible increase in performance over the eight weeks um, is the goal. Uh, and yeah, we sort of have designed it in such a way that it sort of maximizes engagement and obviously maximizes results and also produces long-term change, you know, because a lot of the challenges within this whole space of professional and personal development are around, you know, the sort of idea of the contact high where you go to a workshop or a seminar for two days and you get kind of a dopamine hit from all the novelty of seeing the flashy place and the, and the kind of well-known thought leader or figure, but then six months, a year down the line, you know, you're kind of back to square one and nothing is actually stuck and been integrated or, or, or kind of ingrained. So, we like taking a longer approach to training that actually results in permanent transformation, permanent behavioral change. Um, and then also just the way we've designed the training is such as to maximize engagement. And we have, I think most online courses have about a 3% completion rate. And we have, I believe, a 100% completion rate because of the way we've, we've mapped out the training and designed it. And you know, there's tons of, of live one-on-one communication and things like that. So it, doesn't, it feels like you're part of a community, not like you're in some kind of online video library course type of thing, um, which you know, makes all the difference as well. I have, I, I'm, I'm halfway through and I have been so impressed by the way, the, the experience of it the um going through the video watching the videos doing the writing exercises taking a look at your schedule um adjusting your habits like not only do my inner am i interfacing um through the app and doing the doing the work in the app but i'm also seeing other people's thoughts how are they struggling with it how what's easy for them um what do i have in common with these other folks that are going through and within this cohort group these are these are the kind of people that you want to surround yourself with. I mean, flat out. I mean, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. When you engage in in a cohort group for a personal development um, uh, structure around flow states, those are the most interesting fucking people I can think of. I mean, honestly. 
and, and it's reflected in what they do. You know, there's coaches, um, there are CEOs, there are entrepreneurs, um, there are coders and developers, and you're just in, integrating using the actual platform actually lifts you up because it's like, man, these people are switched on. This is so cool. I'm actually, I'm actually participating. I feel as a part of this group for, for me, it has been, and I, and, and I don't, this, this podcast is never, uh, over celebratory of the things that I do. You know, if I, I, I tell people the honest, like if I had a good experience, if I like this product or I like this thing, but it has, it has literally been transformational for me. Um, it has been so transform so transformational for me that it it has opened up my long term vision, and it has organized my life in such a way uh, habitually. It has allowed me to be so much more productive that the things that I have been sort of casting aside for a year or so, no shit, since I, since I sold my companies, the things that I've, that I've cast aside for a year, I'll get to that. I'll figure out this goal or this, this product I want to develop. I'll figure that out later. After sort of tidying up my room a little bit and making sure the environment looked nice and making sure that um, I'm clear on what it is that I have to do that week and, and, and regulating my schedule, it, it, took, it took care of all the busy work really quick so that was done. It systemized my, my day and allowed me to open up my vision down the road to be able to focus my attention on longer term goals, which is something that has been plaguing me for a long time. And it's, it's, it's been so effective that um, like, I have to remind myself to go back into, back into the app to keep engaging. Um, to get more juice because it's it's just been so effective. I mean, you guys have really developed something amazing, and and I think anybody who is interested, if they're looking for that thing, what's the one thing? Like, you should meditate for sure. Everyone should meditate, but you should also learn how to work smarter, faster, more creatively, and develop your own way to be your absolute best. And that the the impact of that is immense. And so I don't know, I I'm, I'm a huge fan of it and, and I know that I'm only halfway through. So I'm excited to see what the second half looks like because it has been, uh, it's, it has been, it's been transformational for me. So thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. It's a lot of the Harris. <laughs> Good work, man. Oh, it's fun. <laughs> um, well, I, I think, I think it's important. Let me ask this before we, before we sort of take, take this home. Um, do people do do people ever try to poo-poo it? Are there people that are critics of it? And what do they say? Um, yeah, it's a good question, actually. I don't, I don't think so. I actually, I think potentially there is uh, challenges in kind of properly articulating what it is that we're trying to do, and if we do a bad job of that, then you get people who don't really kind of understand it. If we if we explain it too complex a, a way which is easy to do especially with the kind of scientific approach that we're taking to it it's easy to kind of go straight into talking about neurochemistry and brain waves and people are like what the hell does that actually mean but in my experience at least if you ground it if you ground you know the concept of flow and the idea of training it in someone's personal experience they pretty much always start nodding their head and then respond positively you know because everyone's experience being in the zone or being in flow 
and everyone had a positive experience being in flow or being in the zone and would, would like to be able to know how to, how to do it more and spend more of their time there. So uh, I, think, I think the only time that we would get, you know, uh, kind of people looking at us like, they've, you know, like we've got two heads or whatever is if we do a bad job of articulating what it is that we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get that. I totally get that. And that's why um, it, 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 you, it's, you've done and Steven has done such a good job and, and Mihai, Shikset Mihai has, have done a, such a good job of articulating something that's really tough to grasp. It's, you know, it's so, it's so unique. You know, I, some of my most favorite aspects of the zero to dangerous course has been the sort of th- the, the theory around it. And when you mention names like Carl Jung and Joseph Campbell and Emmanuel, uh, or, um, uh, Emmanuel Kant, um, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, Nietzsche, it's like, man, that, that is, that's my jam anyway. I already enjoy uh, that, the, the way that they look at the world, Abraham Maslow, you know, yeah. for any pe- for anybody who's interested in performance, they already know those names. Um, they're, they're, in- they're aware of that, of their impact. And so to synthesize all of that, to put a language around that and to be able to say like, Hey, this is how they were thinking of it. Here's what we're doing with it. Now, here's what we know. Here's the connection between, you know, be having your most productive day ever and, you know, getting a gold medal at the X Games. Here's how these connect and here's how you can develop this for yourself. I just think it's, I just think it's a massively, a massively effective pool, a tool. And it's, it's been, it's been fascinating for me. I'm clearly, I'm a fan, I'm a fan of it. <laughs> I appreciate it. Big time. Yeah. Um, what, uh, where, where can people, where can people learn more? How do they get in touch? Where should we, where should we send them? Sure. Yeah. So people can go to flowresearchcollective.com and we've got lots of free content and things like that on there. Uh, so flowresearchcollective.com and you can input your, your email there and then we send out a free weekly email usually with flow hacks and tools and tips and content. And there's lots of great stuff generally in that email and then if you want to do a free peak performance consult we offer free peak performance consults which are 45 minutes long which is to have you essentially we have someone from our team kind of drill into your current situation where you're at and things like that and you can either book one of those through our website or you can uh, go to zero to dangerous.com which is zero and then the word two so t o uh, dangerous.com and then there's a button right there as well where it just says uh, I think it says book an interview or something like that so you can book a book a consult there as well um, and people generally find those helpful too yeah I, I've been working with Claire um, on a one-on-one basis and you know I'm um, your guys's vibe I love because it's something that I need is sort of this like calm composed thoughtful focused okay what is the thing that's what do we need to work on? Okay. How, how can we, have you thought about this? Cause I mean, as a life and performance coach, that's how I pay my bills and feed my kids is coaching to be able to be coached at that level with that much clarity, with that much strategy and decisiveness. It's, it's, it's made, it's made huge dividends in my life. Um, and so I'm, I, I can't wait, can't wait to continue the course. Um, 
So the last question, which uh, is a fill in the blank question, is how I like to close out every episode. So sometimes it catches people off guard, but novelty is a flow trigger. So, um, <laughs> um, so base this can be this can be specifically to flow, but really based on your knowledge of the world in life. Um, if you would please fill in the blank and elaborate as much as you'd like. Everyone would benefit from knowing. It's a good one, man. It's a good sentence, Sam. I like that. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I'll give you one that uh, Stephen and I were talking about last week, actually, which was just that everyone would benefit from knowing evolutionary psychology in depth. Um, so we always talk about, Stephen always talks about kind of mental models and the idea that, you know, the key to learning, and uh, we believe that learning and accelerated learning is by far, again, one of the biggest competitive advantages you can possibly get. But one of the keys to learning is kind of developing mental models or like, you know, knowledge trees or frameworks through which you can analyze other knowledge through which you can understand other information that you're coming across and through which you can kind of tie more specific knowledge too. So it's like it's like having a tree of knowledge that you hang more specific things on. Uh, and that's a really key way of being able to improve retention and just amass a very large body of knowledge and kind of keep it all in your, in your head. Um, because if you don't have a sort of a web of knowledge, it's, it's tough to you know, remember everything. Things have to be kind of enmeshed and, and entangled. Um, and evolutionary psychology, we think is one of the best sort of mental models or frameworks that you can develop and learn about you can analyze just so much of human behavior and, and so much of you know what's going on in the world and in yourself through evolutionary psychology and the more aware you become of evolutionary drivers and cognitive biases which are evolutionarily encoded the more you can guard against them and choose to you know follow your evolutionary impulses or not. And oftentimes our evolutionary impulses do not serve us at all. You know, we want to just eat all the donuts or whatever because we didn't have much access to sugar and fat when we were, you know, gathering berries or whatever the case is. So I, I just think the more you know about evolutionary psychology, the more you can you can guard against your own you know unhelpful evolutionary drivers. And it's just an extremely helpful mental model and framework through which you can understand all sorts of other areas of knowledge and other kind of bits of information and things. Love it. Love it. I couldn't agree more. Oh, well said. Well, that's, uh, that, that's it for the show. Rian, thank you so much for joining us today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. Appreciate it. It was fun.